Beloved listeners, the uh, last time the Little Wireless Program travelled to Italy was in the run-ups to the uh, country's national election in September last year. The results of that election certainly shook up the political establishment within Italy and reverberated abroad. For not only did Italians elect their first ever female Prime Minister, Giorgio Maloney, they also elected the country's first far-right leader since World War II. Now, PM Maloney has been in office for four months now, so we thought it timely to return to Italy and take a look at what she's been up to. And who better to be our tour guide than Rachel Donadio, contributing writer to The Atlantic and former Rome bureau chief for The New York Times. Uh, Rachel's been reporting on Italian politics and culture for over 20 years and recently wrote a marvellous analysis of Maloney for The Atlantic, and she joins us now from Paris. Rachel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. How is the small, blonde, fierce, street-smart, working-class and Gen X, as you so vividly describe her, how's she going? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's a tough job governing Italy, and I think she is in some ways struggling, but it's also clear that for a number of reasons, she has a pretty solid majority and isn't going anywhere anytime soon. She has been struggling with getting the economy stabilized. Italy is, is you know, it, it imports a lot of its energy and the war in Ukraine uh, has really affected that. There are boatloads of migrants arriving in southern Italy and that is kind of a part of her platform saying we don't want this to happen. Um, and also she is kind of trying to find her footing with Italy in Europe in the larger political dimensions of, of being along with Germany and France. She feels a little bit snobbed by them. But, you know, it's it's one thing to be a longtime opposition rabble rouser, which is her entire life, and then to be in power governing a country. So I think she has not quite found her footing, but she has a solid majority. You make the point that she's a skillful Polly who channels anger without coming off as unhinged. And that talent helped her break the glass ceiling. That is correct. Georgia Maloney was born in 1977 in Rome. She came of age in far-right youth movements. She has been a professional politician since she was a teenager. She was the head of the student movement of a party, a far-right party, and never went to university. She's just been a politician ever since then. In the year 2012, she founded her party, which is called Brothers of Italy. It takes its name from the opening lines of Italy's national anthem. And she has always defined herself as more far right, kind of not center right of Silvio Berlusconi, with whom she has a quite fraught rapport, and not exactly the League, which is another right wing party in Italy that is more regional. Its its heart and soul is in northern Italy, and the, its platform is keep tax revenue local to northern Italy. So what she says she is trying to do now in leading this right-wing coalition is to forge a conservative movement in Italy. That's what she says, but her party has its roots in 
fascist party and post-war iterations of Italy's fascist party. That means you, that you make the much point that Mussolini isn't as toxic in Italian history as Hitler is in Germany. It's true. There is a very interesting phenomenon, which is that Giorgia Meloni, Brothers of Italy, her party is essentially a grandchild of the fascist party. And questions of historical memory were really not an issue in this election campaign. Instead, she positioned herself as the voice of the working class of regular people as opposed to the elites. And the questions of of World War II, Mussolini, those barely came up. When she has been confronted with those, she tends to shy away and just say, listen, you know, I was born in 1977. I have nothing to do with the war. But I think that the fact that her party can come to power in Italy is something that would have been hugely taboo a few years ago. And that and, says and something yet, about Italy's... And yeah. yet, although she's supported by members of the Mussolini family, she often attacks him. She talks about his uh, 1938 racial laws as the lowest point in Italian history, a shame that will ever mark our people. That's correct, but she said that only after being elected in her first speech to the lower house. Those were the strongest and clearest comments she ever made condemning Mussolini's regime, and she only made them after she was elected. She has kind of gone out of her way to show that she is respectful of Jewish groups and because the, you know, the historical memory of her party is is pretty horrible on that front. Um, but it's it is a, a kind of distressing peculiarity of Italy that the historical memories issues were hardly an issue in the campaign. And again, it's she positions herself as as um, against the elites. It's interesting to note that she placed first in Italy among public school teachers, shopkeepers, workers, whereas the university graduates and higher income Italians tended to vote more for centrist parties or for the center left. So I think that one of the issues motivating her rise to power is a sense in Italy that this is a country of haves that increasingly feel like have-nots. And she claims to be the voice of those have-nots. It's, of course, more complicated than that. There's quite a lot of paradox in her positions. She's anti-abortion. But she says she won't, in fact, uh, do anything to change Italy's reasonable abortion laws. The abortion law in Italy is popular. There would not be popular support to overturn that. And so she can talk as much as she wants about the traditional family. But I don't think that that, there is going to be legislative change on that front. She is very vocal in support of the traditional heteronormative family. And gay couples in Italy, gay people feel under threat from her because she is very much along the lines of defend the traditional Christian Europe, Christian values, Christian family. She is more in line with Poland and Hungary than France and Germany when it comes to allowing gay couples to adopt, for instance. And so this is a big part of her rhetoric. What that means in practice is another question. And this yet is her, another paradox. And yet her own personal arrangements are anything but conventional. 
It's true. She did not move in with the father of her now six-year-old child until just before giving birth. She has not wanted to get married. She is not married. And she says she's an independent woman and she can do as she pleases. And I have to say that a lot of Italians admire her for that. Having children outside of marriage carries little to no stigma in Italy. That being said, she is defending, so to speak, the the traditional family. It's I think one of the things you have to bear in mind about Georgia Maloney governing Italy is that she can say a lot, but what she can actually do is more limited. She is bound by the confines of the euro, which Italy shares with other countries of the European Union, there, which comes there with was treaty commitments, talk. and of NATO. There was mm-hmm. talk, though, of, of pulling out of the EU. Um, There was not really talk of pulling out of the EU at all in this election. There has been ambiguity in the past about her thoughts on the euro, the single currency, but there's nothing she can really do about that. Italy is in the euro. She's committed to keeping Italy in the euro. So that is why markets are calm. Italy has seven NATO bases, and so she's committed to keeping Italy in NATO. And a big part of her job is to keep in line her junior coalition partners, Silvio Berlusconi and Matteo Salvini, who are openly pro-Putin. Berlusconi said some outrageous things a few days ago, basically blaming the Ukraine war on Zelensky for provoking Putin to have to invade. And she really has to keep him in line. She she made a visit to uh, Kiev, didn't she? Yes, which is a a pretty significant thing because she went against her base in order to support Ukraine because her base tends to be more philo-Putin, philo-Russian in a sense of, oh, he's a great defender of of, uh, Christian values, not so much that... um, um, and so, yes, she recently went to Kiev, and that was seen as a as a as an important move supporting Zelensky, supporting Ukraine. She has not committed Italian fighter jets to this war. She is doing, I think, what she can on the image front, on the reality front. That might be slightly different. You uh, already mentioned her hardline attitude against uh, gay people, and I'm thinking about her comprehensive views on the LBGTQI rights. But last night, the centre-left chose a 37-year-old lesbian who champions gay rights to be the opposition leader. Exactly. Ellie Schlein was chosen after many rounds of voting and defeated the person who was seen to be the front-runner, Stefano Bonaccini, who's the head of the Emilia-Romagna region in northern Italy. Schlein is a progressive politician. She is seen as a kind of Italian answer to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but I think she has less of a base than, than AOC. And she is very much a different face of Italy, an opposition to Maloney, but of the same generation and of a completely different stance. She, Ellie Schlein, the new leader of the center-left Democratic Party, will definitely have her work cut out for her because that party has many different factions and is enormous and struggles to be nimble enough to get the voters that it should get. And that is one of the reasons why Giorgia Maloney has come to power in Italy is because the left has failed to form coalitions strong enough to stay in power. Rachel, you write that uh, Maloney offers a culture war based on triggering key words, borders, family, roots, identity, immigration, us, them. Well, let's look at the 
grim news about a, an overcrowded wooden boat being wrecked off the coast of Calabria. 59 migrants are reported dead, including 12 kids. In opposition, Maloney took a very hard-line stance against uh, what she described as illegal immigration. Has her government maintained that stance? Well, Maloney, now that she is the leader of Italy, expressed her deep sorrow for the many human lives torn away by human traffickers. So she expressed a certain amount of human condolence about this tragedy. But a large part of her platform and her stance is we have to stop illegal immigration. We have to stop these boats from arriving in Italy. It is very hard to do that because there are tens of thousands of people fleeing wars and repressive regimes, some also economic migrants. And now they're coming from Turkey in boats to Southern Italy. And it is easy for her to say, we have to stop this, and it's hard to stop it. And also, there's a humanitarian, when a boat is stranded in the Mediterranean, it is up to the country in whose waters that boat has landed to rescue these human lives, to rescue these migrants. And so what the country has to do morally and logistically and practically kind of then foments this culture war where she can point to these pictures and say, see, these people are coming and, you know, I don't know, they're coming illegally and they're not really part of, of what we want Italy to be. It becomes a huge brouhaha in, in the media and it really cuts to the heart of one of the things that she's trying to do, which is say, oh, we need to have, you know, a kind of an us and them, we Italians versus versus these illegal migrants. She very much is informed by Renaud Camus' great replacement theory in which she is concerned that non-white and non-Christian immigrants will eventually supersede white Europeans. And this is a part of her base and it is a quite distressing development, I would say, in Italy. No, Shortly after taking office, uh, she sparked a diplomatic row with France over immigration. What happened? Well, Italy refused to give harbour to an NGO boat that had rescued migrants from drowning in the Mediterranean and forced that boat to dock in France. And France didn't want the boat either because there is this kind of game of takeaway or, give you know, just we don't want this. In going on in the Mediterranean. And France, as you know, is caught up in its own migration debates. Macron is under pressure from the right in France to not let in immigrants. And Italy just has a lot more coastline than France. And so Meloni kind of scored points with her base. You know, hey, we stuck it to snobby France. They got the boat and we didn't get it. But it really has done significant damage to Italy's relationship with France, which affects the balance of power in the EU. And her base is really not terribly sophisticated. And it's like, stick it to France. But Italy needs to work with France in the EU. And that is also why Maloney found herself not invited to dinner at the Elysee with Olaf Scholz and Macron and Zelensky a few weeks ago. Despite her problems with Berlusconi, you make the point, I know, that he, in fact, played a terribly important role part in her career. He made her the youngest minister in Italian history, but there are fracture lines between them. Yes, and Berlusconi is the first person to start 
giving mainstream respectability to the far right. Georgia Maloney, before founding her Brothers of Italy party in 2012, was a member of a party called National Alliance, and that sprung from post-war offshoots of the fascist party. Berlusconi brought that party into his coalitions from the very start in the early 90s. 1994. And yes, in his 2008 government, she was the youngest government minister representing that National Alliance Party. But she has never had much um, adoration for Berlusconi. She was one of the only women in that government who had not been a showgirl on Berlusconi television channels in the past. She is very much her own woman. And in the fall, Berlusconi was quite obnoxious to her and was in the Senate and apparently he had a list of adjectives describing her, like she's bossy, she's, you know, um, patronizing. And he was caught on camera with that list on his desk, which he'd written in quite large type, probably for the camera to pick up, although we don't know for sure. And an Italian television reporter said to her, well, what did you think of that list that Berlusconi had? And she snapped back and said, one adjective is missing, that I'm not blackmailable. And she's implying that Berlusconi was. And so it's kind of great political drama. Um, But she, you know, he in some ways, yes, helped her become the youngest government minister, but she was never a part of his party. And I think that's important to bear in mind. Rachel, uh, Italy, of course, tops the Guinness Book of Records when it comes to uh, a rapid turnover in governments, even faster than Australia's. It's had, uh, what, 70 in the past 77 years. Will Maloney serve a full term? I believe that Maloney has as good a chance of serving a full term as any government of those 77. And that is because I do not see any alternative majority. Usually governments fall when smaller parties pull out of coalitions because they think that they have a chance to gain more in elections. That is how the government fell in July. The technocratic government of Mario Draghi, one of the most respected Italians in the world. And at the moment, Maloney got 26 percent of the vote, her other right-wing coalition partners, all this adds up to a majority, whereas the center-left does not have a clear majority because it doesn't have clear coalition partners. So believe it or not, I think that this unlikely far-right, Gen X, fierce, blonde, street-smart young (laughs) woman governing Italy has as good a chance of any as actually serving a full term. Rachel, thanks immensely for that. I've been talking to uh, Rachel Donadio, contributing writer to The Atlantic and former Rome Bureau chief for the New York Times. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.